Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Bestowing the Brush. This is the podcast that helps you learn how to draw and how to nature journal and a ton of other things that are art education related and and more. I am so excited to have a guest on the show with me today. Today I have Marley Pfeiffer. He is an educator and a nature journaler himself. He longs for a reintegration of art with science and words with images, and he works to synthesize and develop these ideas in his journals. Nature journaling became a fundamental practice for Marley when he discovered how it could combine his interests and accelerate his learning. As an educator himself, Marley is constantly sharing, inspiring, and provoking learning in nature and on paper. So thank you so much for coming on the show with me today, Marley. Yay, I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) It's so fun to talk to other people who totally nerd out about drawing and journaling and uh, being outside and soaking it all up. So it's very refreshing. Exactly. Okay. Well, my first question for you is how did you first get into nature journaling? Um, Was it that you kind of heard somebody talk about it or did you watch somebody do it? How did that happen for you? Mm, That is such a good question. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved nature. I was one of those kids that couldn't come inside and I would just be running around and like trying to catch lizards and finding bugs and climbing trees. And when I was inside, I loved drawing and I would draw stuff though that was completely unrelated to, I mean, unrelated, basically unrelated to what I was seeing in nature. And it wasn't until way, way later, I think I got introduced to the, a little bit of nature journaling in a class in college, but it didn't really click until much later um, when I found out about John Muir Laws and I was actually contacting him to learn about a science illustration program that he graduated from and I was applying for. And um, shortly after talking to him, he gave me like all these ideas about science illustration. And I loved the idea of science illustration, but then I started uh, nature journaling from some of his resources and learning about it that way. And I realized, wow, this is actually way cooler than science illustration because I can actually be outside looking at stuff in real time, learning and combining words and images. I mean, the just aesthetically, I also prefer, I like the look of words and images and, and notes and little diagrams all mixed together. And it, as, it was like one of those things where someone, as soon as they see something or hear about something presented the right way, it immediately clicks with them. Yeah, totally. And so at what point in your life was that? You know, that was like, that was about, uh, I would say, I think that was in 2013 or 2014. Um, so not that long ago, about six years that I've been nature journaling. Okay. Well, that's great. I think it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's cool to hear about when in some ways things just clicked for someone and it's like, yes, this is what I want to do. And you are doing this full time now, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I've been teaching. I, I started teaching nature journaling almost as soon as I started nature journaling on my own. And I was already doing some teaching stuff 
related teaching stuff at that time, mostly like teaching tracking and uh, teaching primitive skills with kids, like teaching tracking and nature skills with kids. And so basically when I realized that I could also be learning nature journaling and teaching at the same time, I started hosting a nature journal club in my area. Um, I think I started doing that in like um, 2015 or something like that. And, um, and yeah, now I'm full time. I am basically doing this. Um, yeah, full time. I'd make videos and a lot of what I make is free, but I am finding ways to monetize it. And I do have classes and I do still do some COVID safe, like one-on-one teaching with kids out in the field. I haven't been doing as many, um, things like that in the field with adults lately, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I have online teaching stuff and yeah, this is my full, full-time job right now. That's awesome. I think that that's just, those skills are so important to teach and to learn. And it's something you, it's like, you can't ever fill yourself up with enough. Like you're never going to become like done with learning right, right. <laughs> about nature and, uh, with journaling that just helps cement everything for you, but so I'm curious when you go on these excursions or these um, these like one-on-one teaching experiences with the kids that you teach, what does that look like? What will you typically do, and how do you kind of structure that time together? Mm, yeah, that is such a great question. Well, the thing that that is super empowering for teachers and parents and facilitators and mentors of any kind is that. What you have to remember is nature is the best teacher. And guess who the best learners are? Kids are the best learners. So you basically just need to kind of put those two things together and know how to not get in the way. And you're just going to be blown away because like around every single corner or in the or turn in the trail or whatever, or under every single rock, there's lessons. There's physics lessons there's biology lessons, there's like every everything you could possibly want to learn about is there. And the kids have all of the things um, for learning, you know, they're, they're curious, they're excited, uh, they don't, they're not um, jaded the way that adults are. So they see things for, for the first time. And um, you'll be you'll, you're, you'll be walking right past something Um, And they'll be noticing something there that's actually amazing. And so I think as adults, if we can just kind of soften to that a little bit, then we we realize that it doesn't actually take that much work from us um, to create sort of this container for learning. And so as far as structure goes, I've found that keeping it pretty basic is usually best. So on um, a trip last week with these two kids, these two siblings that I'm teaching, um, we went out to the beach and there had just been really extreme tides. And so there was all this stuff exposed that had never been exposed. And like I could have come up with a lesson plan and sometimes I come up with specific lesson plans and we'll do like an experiment about cratering So we did this experiment with like uh, dropping rocks and filming it in slow motion and seeing how the rocks created crater patterns. And we use like sand at the beach and some like um, cocoa powder. And then we like slow mode the video, watch the video in slow mo and try to draw it and all of that. And so that took a lot of planning and structure. 
But like this time last week, I didn't come with a lesson plan and we got to the beach and I saw what was happening. Like, wow, there's all this erosion going on because of the high tides. And there was like weird plant roots exposed. And they looked like these giant spaghetti noodles coming out of the sand that were like eight feet long. And and, and the kids are really different. So if you, you just have to learn how to work with, with kids a little bit and like listen to them. And also to just kind of be able to listen to nature and be like, notice what's coming up and I could have been like no let's focus on this lesson plan but I noticed like one of the kids gets distracted really easily and she needs to be like touching stuff Uh, if it's too cerebral she kind of spaces out and so she was loving these spaghetti noodles things and so I was like okay like let's look at that and the cool thing is nature journaling you can look at anything and apply it to anything so you know I was like okay well let's do a quick sketch and we did these sort of like almost cartoonish sketch where we showed like a person standing um as 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 scale um holding the um the roots up in the air that were coming out of the ground and just by making that drawing that seems sort of cartoonish you're showing like oh well look those roots are probably at least like eight feet long out of the ground because there's the the person standing holding them and then we can like write questions like and do an i notice i wonder it reminds me of so like I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of if you're nature journaling with kids, that's like the most basic thing for you to know. And even if you're working with kids, and this is something that, you know, a lot of people worry about is like, my kid can barely hold a pencil and draw a straight line. How, how can I teach them nature journaling? Well, you can do, I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of with kids who can't write or draw because you can just do it as a verbal exercise. So we found these crazy roots. And so well, what do you notice? We go around in a circle, in this case, just three of us, and we say something that we notice. And um, that could be like, they're just basic observations. Like I notice the white color. I notice there's a lot of them. I notice they're stuck in the sand and just basic things like that. And then you go to, I wonder, and that's whatever questions or whatever you're curious about. I wonder what plant they're coming from. I wonder if they are a plant. I wonder how long they've been here for. I wonder if they're going to die in the sun. I wonder if they're going to change colors in the sun. And then the last one is it reminds me of, and that one's always funny. Usually I try to make it funny and that helps people remember things like it reminds me of spaghetti noodles or it reminds me of, um, and then that's the place where the know-it-all kids can say they saw something on Discovery Channel or on a video online. And so you save that to last because it's important to make a distinction between direct observation and something that you heard or read online. And so, you know, like in that outing, we did that. We did, I noticed, I wonder, it reminds me of a couple times, a couple like quick little sketches. Um, We did like a cross section where we tried to imagine if we cut had a big huge like a pizza cutter and cut the beach and the ocean where the where the water's coming up onto the beach in half and looked at it from the side what would it look like so we tried to draw that and we measured the angles of the beach and like how the beach was um, flatter at first um, almost like completely flat and then it came up at a steeper angle um, and we tried to, in our diagram, show those angles. So incorporating a little bit of like numbers and math and quantification. And then we did, um, we walked further down the beach and start to do sort of like a, what's called a collection. So we would just do 
a simple drawing and maybe some words describing a bunch of different plants that were growing on the beach. And so by the end of that, you know, it's all really simple. But by the end of that, it's like you look and you're like, wow, you have a diagram showing um, the effects of this high tide and beach erosion. You have like this one cool discovery with these exposed roots um, that could be thought provoking for the future. Um, and then you basically have like an inventory of some of the species that are growing on the beach. And like when you think about it, it's like that was all really easy um, to do and kind of natural with the kids. And but at the same time, it's like that's basically like that's data right there. That's like that's like what scientists do, you know, and it's like also just yeah. cool to look back at in your journal. And it has like a cool I can look at that page right now. Um, and be like, wow, that was neat, you know, and that's that moment in time is recorded there. So that's, that gives you an idea of, um, of what I do with, with kids in, in the field. Yeah. Those are all super great ideas. Thank you so much for your expanding on that. Mm -hmm. I love how you said that, um, nature is the best teacher. And then I think you also used the phrase direct observation mm -hmm. and I love making that distinction as well, that it's not just you read a bunch of stuff in a science book. Now you're going to go out and identify mm -hmm. everything. That's not really what you're trying to do in a nature journal, right? You are trying to gather your own relevant information. Exactly. And I think, I mean, this is in philosophy, this is called epistemology, like where knowledge comes from. And um, sometimes in our culture, it, it's, it's confusing the distinction and we don't make a clear distinction between how we know things. Um, and so, you know, when you ask a kid, um, like, do you know that plant or um, like, what do you see? Or when you ask an adult too, a lot of the answers that they're going to give you are not what they know from direct experience. They're what they know from you know, having seen it on TV, like, and, and the, the crazy thing today in the world we live in today is that we know more indirectly than we do directly. So like I've seen thousands of photos of the Eiffel tower, um, and of killer whales, and I've never seen killer whales or the Eiffel tower in person, but like, I feel like I know them. And so I think just like, there's an important distinction there and nature journaling is really in my opinion, this is like a radical definition of it. And um, something that I feel like we occasionally need to fight for is that this it, nature journaling at its core is about direct interaction, direct observation, which should be empowering. Whereas like if I go on um, Pinterest um, and just like make some pretty pages based off of photos, um, you know, like National Geographic wildlife photos, um, that someone else took, that's totally different. Like there, there's things you can learn that way and you can definitely like practice art that way. Um, but you're not making direct observations and you can't make your own discoveries. So like when we went out, when I went out with those kids last week, both of those kids can make novel discoveries in nature. And when they realize that and you tell them that it's empowering because you, it's not just like regurgitating stuff that they um, they saw on the internet. It's like they discovered that and their observations, like when you do I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of, 
you noticing that that thing is white and has like pink tips and it's stuck to the ground, those are totally valid. And a kindergartner um, can have valid observations next to a, you know, a PhD marine biologist or whatever. And so when you're in a group, a mixed group, you realize like this allows everybody in the group to feel empowered to make direct observations and and discoveries in nature it's not just the like it's not just me the trip leader or the most the know-it-all kid in the group who 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 gets to see and notice everything it's like everybody everybody can make direct observations that are 100% valid the interpretations now that's different but like that direct observation 100% valid and a lot of times you know kids will notice things or, or other people in your group will notice things and you'll be like holy cow i would not have even seen that. That's so awesome. I love that you have just kind of, you've really inspired me here with this, um, that, that that's an empowering tool mm -hmm. and that it kind of levels the playing field. Exactly. Even adults can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just really awesome. So with your profession, you've gone on several different exotic trips, and you did one recently here where you went to – remind me where you went. The Grand Canyon, 21 days rafting Grand? down um, the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. Wow. So what was something you learned on that trip that you um, maybe overall didn't realize you'd encounter or just something novel? Mm, yeah, I mean – abiotic stuff so i think a lot of nature journalers think that and in our culture too a lot of times people associate nature with biotic stuff so living things like plants and animals and mushrooms um, but abiotic stuff is nature too so it's like geology rocks sand waves how um how rapids form you know like how water moves um, mm -hmm. anything about like the stars, the wind, um, even just like, even just things about like gravity or like how stuff falls or, um, you know, how things accelerate physics, all of that stuff is abiotic, the weather it's abiotic. And there's really, you know, the biology and, um, everything else go back and forth, you know, they interact, but a lot of times people don't nature journal the abiotic stuff. And in the Grand Canyon, there's awesome animals and plants, but really there's a lot of it is basically, you know, rocks and water and air interacting in ways that have to do with physics. And so, um, and it's, it's also really beautiful. So I did a lot of landscape ethos, like small landscape paintings and watercolor, um, and just tried to practice like paying attention to like, things that would be hard to draw. So, you know, like fluid dynamics, like how water and other fluids move around obstructions is really weird and amazing and, and fluid. And so it's really hard to draw. Um, <laughs> right. But I tried to practice like, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I might not make like this beautiful, you know, classic looking nature journal page with like a plant and animal, some questions and whatever. I, it might not look great, but it's like a process of trying to learn because I'm interested in these uh, rapids, like how rapids work. It's 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 really interesting. So I really tried to work on that. And I'm going to, um, on the Nature Journal show, I'm going to be interviewing a geologist from Stanford um, pretty soon. And he nature journals. And I'm going to try to talk more and just bring it into 
the awareness in our community that abiotic stuff is worth paying attention to. And I think kids get it too. You know, like so many kids go through a rock stage. They're like crystals and rocks are awesome. And so it's like, we should be looking at that stuff and um, waves and beaches and rivers and um, all of that stuff is like, or ice, you know, like, gosh, ice, you can nature journal that all day long. Yes. Which is another question I wanted to ask you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but there's this stuff called snow. And being in California, uh, where you are, um, you don't get to be around it a lot, but I know a ton <laughs> of people in the Midwest and in the East and, um, you know, obviously other countries around the world, we get some snow from time to time. So, hey, give us your best winter slash snow tips for journaling, what to look for, what to record. All right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> no, we always get that here in California. I mean, we have some snowy places, but um, along the coast, not so much. And yeah, so I mean, I've done, I've definitely done nature journaling in extreme conditions. I don't get a nature journal in the snow or freezing weather um, very much. I think I've nature journaled in the snow one time, but I definitely get a lot of practice nature journaling in rainy conditions and wet conditions and pretty cold conditions. So I definitely have some good uh, winter nature journaling tips. And I have several videos about like how to nature journal in the rain, um, how to nature journal inside. So that's like one option is to stay inside. Um, (laughs) But my tips, basically here are my tips for nature journaling in the winter. Um, First one is reset your expectations. And I talk a lot about expectations when I teach because I think it's really um, a blind spot for people. So I think a lot of people's a lot of people won't nature journal for four months out of the year or more because they don't think they can in the winter. So they they turn into fair weather nature journalers. Um, and I think part of it is because people don't understand their um, expectations of themselves around their nature journal pages. So a lot of people, maybe they get comfortable nature journaling in a certain way with certain subjects and they, they're afraid that um, nature journaling outside on a snowy day, they might not be able to get all comfortable and do the same, create the same product. It, it, so that's an outcome dependence, which I talk a lot about when mm-hmm. I talk about nature journaling mindset is a lot of people say they're nature journaling for this or that reason, but um, inside they have a lot of outcome dependence because they want the page to look a certain way. And, you know, as artists, we know that like that's normal and that's that's fine but you have to be aware that that's inside of you because if you just are going around saying like you're doing it for the process um but you actually have this hidden desire for a certain product then that can be problematic later because you might not go out in nature journal on a winter day uh, because your expectations need to be reset so resetting your expectations because you might just get a quick sketch. You might only be able to use pencil for a little bit. Um, you might have to use a different format journal, like maybe even just a little notebook and write down some notes. So resetting your expectations is first. Um, and then next is meeting your basic needs. You have to meet your basic needs before you can have these like creative aspirations. And I think parents often understand this better than other people because with kids, you probably know that like if you're doing anything with kids, if the basic needs aren't met, nothing is going to work out. So it's like 
parents usually realize that and they've got they've got layers ready they've got um, snacks ready you know they they know if the kid has slept or not so it's like we have to be our own parent when we nature journal especially in the winter and just realize like don't have like some idea of what you're gonna have this like creative amazing masterpiece if you're cold hungry underslept whatever so basic needs before your creative needs um, and then keep your stuff simple. Like if you're trying to nature journal in the snow and you have like all of these colored pencils that are like falling everywhere, um, mm-hmm. that's just, you, you need to simplify your materials as much as possible and practice with those simple materials so that when you're out there in more difficult conditions and you're wearing mittens and you have like all these different pockets and different layers, you're not going to get like confused about where your eraser is or, you know, is it in the pocket, like underneath your two other jackets. So simplifying Mm -hmm. that. And then the fourth tip for the winter is practice being outside because a lot of times um, people don't spend enough time outside maybe. So they don't even really know how to be very comfortable out there. And um, if you can practice being outside and maybe just like be a little bit easy on yourself and say like, well, I'm not necessarily going to nature journal in the winter um, this week, but I'm just going to go on like three hikes and maybe try sitting under a tree in the snow or bring some stuff out there and see if you can just kind of hang out um, in a spot where you would want a nature journal and see what it's like, like are your hands freezing? You know, is your butt freezing? Um, do you have trouble walking? Are your shoes actually good for the snow? All of those kind of things like practice being outside and being comfortable outside, um, before you introduce this whole other element, you know, cause that's just like learning how to nature journal and draw in the snow and just be comfortable outside in the winter at the same time. Um, so those are like the four basic, you know, four important ones, um, for, um, you know, being outside. Oh, the other one for being outside is like, um, your hands. So you don't necessarily need a lot of times gloves don't work well for people, um, drawing with gloves. And a lot of times you end up getting like, uh, you can get ink or watercolor, um, bits of watercolor pigment on your glove and get it onto your paper. And a lot of people can't hold their brush or don't feel right that way. So one thing you can do is just have mittens, um, which will keep your hands so much warmer. And then when you're ready to do your sketch, take your hand out, do your, do your sketching and that, and then put it back into your mitten and just keep it really warmed up. Keep your hands really warmed up in between and having like some of those chemical hand warmer packs, um, like in your pockets or in your mittens, and then just pulling your hands out right when you're going to do the sketching that from I've talked to people, I talked to Kim McNett who nature journals in the Arctic circle in Alaska during the winter. And she recommends not trying to find gloves that you can sketch with, but just getting the warmest mittens you can, and then pulling your hand out, doing the drawing and then putting it back in. Um, and then the last two are kind of like, um, other options that I think are good for a lot of people, but see if you can nature journal from a window. If you have a spot in your house, you could set up where you just look outside every day. A lot of us take this for granted. We have stuff right out our window that we could be drawing and nature journaling, and it probably changes every day. Even the sky, you know, like 
is it clear? Is it cloudy? If you just start doing that, like every day, a little teeny drawing of that, like a five minute drawing, that's nature journaling. And that's awesome. And that's the winter you're getting information or your car, you know, like you can drive places and set up like a little portable studio kind of situation in your car. And as long as it doesn't get way too fogged up, um, you can nature journal from your car. And yeah, those are my, those are my winter tips. Um, just kind of my general winter tips. Those are great. I really, I hadn't thought about just getting really, really warm mittens taking, I'm sure I've done it before come to think of it, but, um, I was also thinking that that too might also help you be a better observer because you're, you have to actually sit there for a second and decide mm. what you're drawing and you'd have to look at it for a minute and kind of strategize and then <laughs> take your tool out mm -hmm. and record it. So yeah, that could be super helpful. Yeah. I really liked, um, everything that you said and I would totally agree with that. And it reminds me of, um, a friend of mine, actually, Annetta, you listen mm -hmm. to this podcast. She uh, she did like a sky log one year where every day she just did a five-minute watercolor of what the sky looked like that day. And you could totally do that from inside out the same window. And she'd record the temperature and maybe what they were doing that day. That's awesome. And it was just really cool to see even the totally different variations mm -hmm. that you get day-to-day the different colors and you can tell the moisture level and how far up in the sky the clouds are. It's all just so it's interesting. Like you were saying those, did you call it abiotic? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Abiotic stuff. Yeah. To keep track. Of. Yeah. And you know, the thing is too, is like, if you do it right, that can be such a beautiful piece of art. Not only is it like science and just also really interesting and like a good daily meditation kind of thing. Um, and like almost like a gratitude, you know, like a Thanksgiving to like just paying attention to the sky outside. But it's also like it can be beautiful. Like if you do, you know, if you do it, uh, some type of consistency, like I mean, I'm imagining like if you even did this not in a journal per se, but like got a big piece of watercolor paper, you know, drew a grid on it, a bunch of squares. And then um, every single day um, for however long that you do it, you do a little sky and like each one is consistent, it could be a beautiful piece of art with like some little notes under each one. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It was pretty beautiful. She had it in one of her handmade notebooks mm. and it was just, oh, it was lovely. Nice. But all of those tips, I'm sure the listeners will take those and hopefully maybe we can all work better on doing abiotic recording. Mm -hmm. And remembering not to take those things for granted. I think it's mm -hmm. a super important part. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, and then one practical I was going to mention while we were on the topic of winter journaling. One thing I did, I didn't even do it on purpose. It was just a mat that I used to cut my kids' hair on. Mm. It was like an old um, dollar store shower mat mm. that I just ended up taking that with me one day. But it ended up being really good and lightweight for winter journaling and then my bottom didn't get yes. wet it was the perfect thing for that great so that could be a really lightweight thing to add to your pack for the winter time yeah that's a good idea kim mcnett who i interviewed in alaska she has one of those there's those like not styrofoam but some type of foam um simple foam sleeping pads and she like cut like a square of one of those 
um, that she sits oh, on, but yeah. yours sounds even even more lightweight. And like there might even be space to put some of your stuff down too. That that's a really great idea. Okay. What is your favorite thing to just sketch right in your own backyard? Since you've gone on the on these more exotic trips and you've been to lots of cool places to do this, but what do you just consistently like to look for in your own backyard? Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, nature journaling in Tanzania, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Grand Canyon, British Columbia. Yeah, there's a lot of cool places, but Let's see some of the stuff that I found um, really cool in my own backyard. I mean, I like creatures. So sometimes like just finding um, boards and stuff in my in, or rocks and flipping them over and seeing what's underneath. Um, I also really like nature journaling um, branches that have moss and lichen on them. It's like you zoom in yeah. and you can just keep finding more stuff. And they're also really fun to draw. And I definitely do lots of little landscape. I, not quite as like disciplined as what Anetta did with the, you know, sky, but I do have a lot, uh, sort of like a series looking the same direction out my window and just um, of, of this sort of valley and seeing like how the trees, uh, leaves change over time. Yes, in California, our, our, uh, our trees actually like lose their leaves and stuff, some of them. Um, so just kind of some stuff like that. Um, and just birds flying above quick sketches of like, we have a lot of these turkey vultures that glide really high up in the air. Um, yeah. So trees and creatures under rocks, branches with moss and some birds. Really cool. What could the homeschooling parent do today, um, to kind of start this if they've never done this before? What would you recommend they do to start small and to build this habit? Mm, yeah, wow. Okay, this is something that I've thought about a lot because I'm I'm really interested in like practical stuff. And I think a lot of people try to bite off too much. And if you're a homeschool parent, you're already pretty busy and you have a lot of things to, to hold in mind. So um, one thing to realize is you don't need to be an expert at nature journaling to teach nature journaling. Um, that and just be easy on yourself and start simple. Um, but really, the first thing I would say, and I think a lot of homeschool parents are already doing this, is um, buddy up. Like, find, don't try to do it alone. Like, find another family and, you know, like talk about it and, and say, like, are, is this something you'd be interested in? Like, you know, and then you can like check in with each other um, or maybe like a couple like families and, who all like, commit to like, okay, we're going to be doing this with our kids like once a week. And then we'll just check in with each other and see how it's going. And when you do something like that, then it takes the pressure off of that one parent, um, or two parents or whatever. And it just makes it, um, way more likely that you'll keep it up, you know? And so I think uh, this is probably preaching to the choir. Cause I think homeschool parents are probably like really strong in this in networking and doing things like this already together. But yeah, try to try to like tap into your community and that creates sort of like accountability, but also makes it way more fun. And then, you know, when we do all get back outside and together again and all of that um, and aren't quarantined or whatever, then, then it's obviously just way more fun um, for the kids um, and you'll learn faster and the parents will learn faster and share ideas. So those are like some of my tips um, that I would start with. And then I'm, I'm also going to be offering a nature journal 
family experience um, thing where we come together on Zoom, do a little intro, then we go out and nature journal on our own, then we come back on Zoom and share, um, and then we do that every week for three weeks. Um, and I'm going to be starting that. People can sign up for that on my website, but I'm going to be starting that in January 2021. And there's that. And then there's like a ton of other things, you know, John Muir Laws has stuff. So it's like getting, getting help or um, information is probably not going to be the limiting factor, but figuring out how to make it into like a sustainable habit and start small and like, don't, um, you know, don't like overwork yourself or create like unrealistic expectations and just kind of start simple and remember like you can do this. You don't need to be an expert to teach your kids nature journaling. Um, you just kind of have to like think about these creating this kind of um, container um, and network uh, of like support and accountability that will help you keep it up, you know, because it's, it's, it's like for a long-term thing. But if, if, you know, if you, you'll burn out, if you're just like, okay, this week we're going to do all of this and like, all right, kids, like you're going to get them like, you know, you got to do this. And like, everybody's going to get really into, you know, like if you try too hard right at the beginning, you'll probably burn out. Yeah, I would agree. I wanted to go back to something you had said. Well, really more just about group dynamic stuff. I think one thing I struggle with, and I, I think other parents struggle with this is how to help your students to not compare one another's work mm. or even with parents too. like um, when we get together in groups with moms that are doing this together, sometimes it happens that there's one person kind of doing the sketching and everyone's kind of staring at <laughs> and, and going, Oh wow. That's yeah. really cool. How do you do that? You know, you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, so, so like, how do you kind of shift the focus in the group to be like, well, Actually, we're just trying to observe if this isn't like everybody show and tell. Dallas, I'm so glad you brought this up. And I really, really wish I could just have like one answer to this question. But this is an ongoing battle. This is like the, the, the awareness of this is the first step. But it's like this is ongoing. And I would say if I could answer this in one phrase, I would say growth mindset. And so there's this woman, Carol Dweck, who did all this research about growth mindset and did all these like experiments with kids. Well, that sounds really um, nefarious, but you know, <laughs> they basically did, you know, like had kids do math yeah. problems and looked at how different kids, like how, what kind of self-talk did the kids have while they're going through the math problem? And they'd ask them like, how did you feel when you how to deal with a problem that you didn't know the answer to. And then they also did all this research on feedback and like what kind of feedback from adults is super destructive to kids. And so talent is the, is the four letter word that should be forbidden in your family because, and in your nature journal group, because talent um, and the idea that some people have it and some people don't is damaging for the kids who are told they're talented in art or whatever. And it's damaging for the kids who are told they aren't talented. So like in nature journaling, it's really important to try to give feedback based on the, the input. So not the output. So it's like you go up to the kid who doesn't have the prettiest drawing and you say, wow, you've been sitting looking at that mushroom for so long. Um, and I see you fill like four pages in your nature journal. That's awesome. So you have to give feedback for that. If you say that's a beautiful drawing, 
or so-and-so is talented or um, you're a good artist, or even if it's like, if it's, you know, like you're doing the journal share thing and this happens with adults, people are doing the journal share and the teacher is, is supposedly like a, a nature journal educator that knows what they're doing. They'll say, this isn't about the pretty picture and blah, blah, blah. But then when they go around the journal share, everybody's looking at the page um, or, or talking about the page that has the most beautiful pictures. So it's like, we have to be honest right. with ourselves that we're going to compare people like the pretty pictures, but like for parents and adults of any kind, like every single interaction I have with a kid, I'm so careful about feedback. Um, I used to teach archery a lot too. And there's a lot of things where it's like the kid, it might be a total accident that that, that thing came out good for that kid that one time. Um, and if you tell, if you reward them for that, then they'll think that, that the good thing to do is to have that outcome. They won't think that the good thing to do is to try, um, and to, to learn and to, um, you know, try to enjoy the process of, of getting better. And that has, you know, there's a ton of research on this about how, how, how much it hurts people. And, and me teaching adults, I'm constantly like basically trying to heal people's, um, heal people's wounds from their childhood around this subject. And the people who were told they were talented artists often become perfectionists. They often won't try things outside of their comfort zone. Um, and have all of these certain problems. And then the, the people who were as kids told that they weren't talented as art, they have a whole nother plethora of problems that um, we as educators have to come in and, and help them recover from. So starting um, right with the kids in the first place is, is, is what we need to do. And so in a group setting, yeah, I think the feedback um, is is really where you um, you walk the walk because if you just tell the kids um, you know oh we don't compare and we we don't we're not trying to get the pretty picture that can be pretty hypocritical especially because what what they notice is what you do and what they notice is that everybody's looking at so and so's um, pretty picture so trying to like give the feedback um, the positive feedback around the work and the input. Um, and not give it, um, like I really try, I don't try to be mean to the people who have pretty pages, obviously. Um, but I'm not going to, I'm going to be careful what I say that say to them and I'm going to give them positive feedback around their input, the time that they spent. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going to make sure that I give positive feedback to, to all the other kids who don't have, um, and you don't have to lie. That's not good either. You know, and like, um, but just like saying, you know, recognizing, wow, this kid over here is working their ass off and they should be getting um, some positive feedback. Um, so I think the, the actual feedback is really where it comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. And if you truly want the point to be that direct observation, y you can't measure that just by looking at someone's output. You can't measure what's going on in their head. You don't know all of the obstacles they had to come into contact with before they recorded anything. There's a lot going mm -hmm. on. So even like teasing some stuff out of them after about, you know, this drawing, it tells me 
you were counting the petals on the flower or you, how many petals did you notice? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll notice things. And this is something that takes practice, but you can – one super powerful form of feedback is, um, you know, like, oh, you have a lot more questions than I do on my page or, or you did a diagram like that. I'm going to do that. And then right there you, you do something that shows – um, that you're not being hypocritical because kids are super aware of that. Um, you, you show like that you're actually practicing what you're preaching, um, and you're learning from them and that they had something valuable that they did, um, that you hadn't thought of. Yeah, that's a great idea. As parents and, uh, adults, we often think that we've just arrived we don't have anywhere else to grow and mm-hmm. to learn, but that's just not true. Mm-hmm. We need to get over ourselves, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> okay. Well, I want people to find you online. So you mentioned your website. Could you tell us what your website name is? And then you do the Nature Journal show, mm-hmm. the Nature Journal show mm-hmm. on YouTube. Yeah. And then tell us where we can find you and and where you want us to go for resources from you yeah if you can spell my last name you can find me anywhere online and um my website is marleypeifer.com um my instagram is marleypeifer and if you search marleypeifer on youtube that's the name of my youtube channel so it's p-e-i-f-e-r and um if you look me up on my, uh, my yeah, my website's probably the best place to go, but I have YouTube videos every week about nature journaling and I have a back catalog with a ton of stuff that parents can use. And my Instagram, just Marley Pfeiffer on Instagram has almost daily nature journaling and nature education content. So yeah, P-E-I-F-E-R and you'll be able to find me. Thank you so much. I had this was such a pleasure talking to you. I think it's extremely motivating to just kind of reset my my mindset too. We need that as people that educate as well. We need to remember these things. So I learned a lot from you today. Thank you for taking the time to help us and to bring your great ideas and to chat about this. Yeah, it's been it's been great. It's it, yeah, it's I'm like I'm so pumped up right now. I need to go nature journal right this second. (laughs) We still have daylight here. So hurry, let's get off the phone and get out there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Marley. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Hey, I'm back for a second. Telling you about MarleyPiper.com, his website. Go there and check out his program that he talked about in this episode called The Nature Journal Family. I'm looking at it right here. It looks awesome. Read all about it there. It's basically groups of families that are like four to six families where the goal is you want to learn nature journaling and nature study. So you hang out on Zoom and he gives you like a 20 minute rundown on what to do that day, what to look for. You go out and you do it and then you come back and share your results. So it's pretty awesome, five weeks, and you can jump into that this February, February 1st. And please do go to marleypiper.com slash nature journaling and education. And it is the nature journal family. Sounds pretty great. 
Uh, Marley was very motivating, obviously. You just listened to the episode. So maybe you're stuck inside because of, of COVID. Uh, maybe you just want to kind of branch out and meet some homeschool families that are across the world. So follow the link in my description. I'll have it right there for you guys. See you next week. And I will see you on Instagram again soon after a nice long break. Bye.